This is a Sport Australia podcast production. Hello and welcome to our coaching and officiating podcast series. My name is Cam Trudell and I'm the project lead for coaching and officiating at Sport Australia. Over this series, we will look at what it takes to modernise Australia's coaching and officiating system. Each podcast, we will be joined by a special guest who will share experiences and practical tips on their topics. We're lucky enough to have Professor Rochelle Iamy on the phone today. Professor Rochelle Iamy is the Director of Sport and Recreation Spatial, which focuses on investigating sport and recreation participation, facilities and health for evidence-based decision-making. She has strong industry networks within the sport and health sector, including state and national government agencies, as well as sport and recreation organisations. Rochelle has written over 300 peer review publications, book chapters and industry reports and research, and has won a number of state and national research accolades. On top of that, Rochelle has been involved with club-based sport throughout her entire life as a player, coach, volunteer, and now parent of players and as a board member of Vic Sport. Welcome, Rochelle. Thanks very, very much for joining us. Thanks very much. It's great to be here. Rochelle, you've done a lot of research uh, in your role and you've got some fantastic insight to our current volunteers of coaches and officials. And I was wondering, um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, throughout the last 10 years, the last decade or so. How has coaching and officiating changed in the landscape of our sport? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with with coaching is um, the qualification of the coaches and the, and the quality of the coaching. Um, so we don't always see that, uh, you know, the grassroots that the coaches necessarily have um coaching qualifications or updated skill sets uh, that might still be in the mindset of when they played footy or netball or tennis uh, and deliver the sport the way it was delivered for them. Uh, and we need to make sure that it's it's quality coaching uh, that looks at improving their skills. It's about inclusion uh, of all participants, but inclu- also it's about improving the skills uh, for everyone, not just those that are the best uh, on the ground. And it's about also too, the, the players having fun and enjoyment. It's not all about winning medals and, and trophies. And we need to try and change that mindset a bit too. Yeah, that's great. You, you talk about accreditation. You sort of, are you leaning more towards competence of the people? Because so many bespoke or different sorts of environments that coaches and officials delve in these days. And it's no longer just a a one-size cookie-cutter fit-all approach. Absolutely. It's not about the certificate in the frame or that's in the drawer. It's about being, able, like you said, competent to be able to improve the physical literacy of the children. So that's not just their skill set. It's about making sure the, the children or adults or adolescents have the competence to be able to play and be active throughout life. Um, it's not just about the skills for that particular sport. It's more broader in the, the physical literacy. With regards to physical literacy, one or two of those domains of the physical literacy may actually be more important to some groups than others. And I guess that becomes a real driver and being able to understand that and having a, an understanding as a coach of what's required in front of you becomes crucial. Absolutely, because the motivations of why people play are really quite different. The motivations change throughout the lifespan, but they also change according to the drivers uh, of the players themselves. You've got those that are driven to exceed uh, in those sports and those are others that just want to play with their mates uh, or, or have fun. You know, The main motivations for adults to play sport is fun and enjoyment and social reasons and then their physical health and fitness and then performance and competition. For adolescents, again, it's fun and enjoyment 
physical health and fitness, but playing with their friends. So it's all about being with others uh, and enjoying that connection with others. It's not about winning. Um, and it really makes – no one goes out there to lose. Everyone enjoys winning, but it's not the main motivator because if it was, well, then 50% of people are really disappointed every time they go out to play because only half the people win. So it can't be the main motivator, and it's not. Um, but we see a lot of coaches, a lot of club um, officials and presidents always focus on, you know, the men's A-grade side winning or winning the premiership or best on grounds. It's how many flags and trophies they have in the club. But that's not a main motivator for why people drive to play sport and it's not a main motivator of why people continue to play sport. And we see massive dropout across the board in, in, in club-based sport. Yeah, that's interesting. 50% success I would have been happy with when I was playing, to be honest with you, Rochelle. I tend to, <laughs> tend to be on the low side of that, but uh, maybe that says a little bit more about me. With that in mind, with regards to how we grow a, a vibrant support base, do you feel like Australia's uh, still a volunteering nation? What have you seen with the trends and the research and the data? Club-based sport in Australia is uh, a volunteer sector and, and an industry, unlike some other sort of um, – countries overseas and to the nature of club-based sport in Australia is it's generally an individual sport within an individual club now you might have footy and netball but they are still two separate sports so you don't have the the multi-sports sectors that you might see over in Europe where kids can sort of easily transition around into different sports within that one sort of system and sector. And the volunteers in sport are generally uh, players, past players or parents of players. Um, and so the trouble is you have quite a big churn rate um, with uh, those volunteers and especially in the junior clubs, as soon as those juniors aren't playing anymore, those adults aren't going to continue necessarily to volunteer at that club. They're going to follow where their children go to or or drop out of volunteering as their, their children move on. And I'm concerned that due, due to COVID that there's that loss of transition. So often you have um, the people that are volunteering in the club, their children might be at the, the older age, so they've been around the club for quite a few years, they sort of know what's going on and they often have that transitional year of sort of being mentored into future roles such as president or, or secretary or, or coach, etc. Um, and last year, especially in Victoria when that was lost, I'm concerned that there's that loss of transition of skill set um, because often there's not uh, a lot of support in these volunteer roles. Um, and I think that that's going to be a big concern for clubs, especially um, too with an extra layer of um, bureaucracy and guidelines due, due to COVID. Um, so, I'm, you know, and a lot of sports are concerned, um, not necessarily just retention of players, but retention of, of volunteers, because without the volunteers, there is no game day. That's really interesting and doesn't really lend itself to to what you were just talking about with regards to parents uh, who are in coaching or officiating for their kids, actually just following their pathway and making sure knowing that their main motivator is fun, it sort of seems to take them out of their environment if they're going up the linear scale of uh, accreditation. Yeah, and what we see with the with the linear scale is the issue that um, the better coaches sort of tend to coach the the better kids uh, in that that model. I know with my um, boys' footy club that they're involved with that's just starting up again uh, this season. They're struggling to find coaches for the resies for the for the reserves teams. Now they're the ones that probably need the best coaches to actually improve the skills of those players. So we sort of had this mindset that um, the the better the players, the better the, the coaching or the coaches want to pl 
coach the better players, but we actually need the better coaches uh, down at the grassroots, at the at the entry level, um, the ones that can really help those uh those children develop those skills and that comp- competency and, and confidence. I know, you know, actually coaching younger children is actually a lot more difficult to do, um, and you actually need really good coaches at that level and that and that age. A hundred percent, couldn't agree more. The support of that area there is is really lacking, and the ability, the role that people can play, like the parents who who are good enough to stick their hand in the air and come and coach at that level. The impact that they can make with a little bit of help and mentoring from people who are, as you say, you know, identified as good coaches can make a massive difference with regards to intrinsically motivating people to remain in sport. And I don't think that's where clubs necessarily connect the skill sets of their their club community with the actual roles. For example, um, you know, I come I I was, was a level two tennis coach, coached for many years. Um, when my children were starting playing football in sort of under 10s, they were about eight. You know, I can kick a footy and handball well enough for under 10s footy. Um, I put my hand up several times to help out with training when they asked for people to help out at training. Um, by the third time I'd done that, um, I wasn't asked to step out on ground. It was only the dads uh, that were asked to step on the ground. So there was four blokes standing there. There was two lions and one footy and about 40 footies sitting on the ground and the kids barely touched the ball. It was really poorly run. So I think it's about seeing through those biases uh, and it's not just gender. Uh, it could be age. It could be people from outside of sport that could actually be really good in certain roles within another sport. And I think we need to match the skill set of the people rather than just this mindset that the best player of the sport is the best one to run the sport. Again, I, I agree. I think that's really, really important. What would be some of the ways that that you feel like we could re-engage or, or get individuals coming back to sport? I think it's that. I think it's about trying to articulate what the value opposition rather than just sort of seeing as a, an extra chore or an extra burden that people have to do. You know, there's some great things that people can learn and develop uh, through through volunteer roles and leadership roles within clubs. And I think we need to highlight what those, those uh, aspects are. Um, and especially for youth, I think we need to get more of the youth involved uh, instead of the, the pale male and stale uh, running every decision and, and everything in sport. I mean, half of all sports participants are aged between five and, and 15, so we need more of them in decision-making. And why can't we have more formal uh, leadership and mentoring of those youth into taking on some of these roles? But They see the value in what they're gaining in their skill set that's going to help them out in their, their career as well. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think there's some parallels that can really be drawn. What would you see needs to happen next? How do we sort of get to that point that people want to get back to their club, what do you think is going to help us kickstart that next? I think it's about trying to highlight the good of sport. So highlighting the good things. We we always see in the media all the negative things with sport and it's often at the, the elite end. Why can't we highlight the, the good things? I was um, presenting to, to uh, sports uh, this week and, and state government and Vic Health and we're seeing some really good five-year trends of female participation. Now, we don't see change overnight, uh, but change can occur and it does occur, but it takes, you know, five, five years. So I think if we can highlight what is good about sport, it's about the physical the mental, the social health and well-being. Um, it's about connecting individuals, families and communities. It's about learning in leadership roles, whether it's coach or, or other volunteer roles. Um, and I don't think we we highlight the good things about sport. I think it's often about, you know, winning or, or, or centralising good players. We should be 
centralising the, the volunteers, the people who have made the sport happen. Uh, I think we pick on people, you know, the, the bad behaviour we often see towards towards umpires and, and the, the yelling, you know, why can't we all just be nice? <laughs> exactly. Create these positive experiences. That would be a utopia. Yeah. That would be fantastic. If we put enjoyment central to everything and if we make it about being fun and people having fun and connecting with others in a fun environment, I think we can do so much. And that, that fun environment doesn't might be look different for those with, with lower skills and those for higher skills and, and those that really like a real for, formal competitive model than those that don't. But it's still about enjoyment because that's what people are there for. It's the major motivator for everyone. And there's some flawed thinking around the fact that enjoyment isn't the main motivator for you know people in high performance it needs to be the main motivator for people in high performance if they don't enjoy it it's yeah it's 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 really tough i'm going to throw a blue sky question to you have you got a view on what's the utopia what's the sporting environment what do you see as being something that we can all strive for a, a really solid stretch target for us to what the environment of sport looks like in this country i think it's about being an inclusive uh, inclusive environment. So that can mean a lot of things, but it's, it's about being inclusive of diversity, uh, of skill and of ability and of race and of age and, but, but also to inclusive, um, decision-making. So, you know, the board and the committee, we can't have sport run the way it's always been run we need to have fresh eyes you know the way we need to think about the way sports delivered I mean we have modified sport which is fun friends and fitness and skill development which is great Uh, and then we have that transition to club competition now that's great too but only for those that are really good at the sport and really love that competitive model I think we need to open our eyes up into more the organized but uh, not so focused on competitive so the social rec rec programs because there's a lot of people that want to play sport but but aren't aren't good enough to play in the competitions or don't want to be in that space. Rochelle, thank you very, very much for joining us today. This has been uh, fantastic, really insightful, and wanted to thank you for your time. No worries. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining me today. If you'd like to find out more about coaching and officiating or have any feedback or questions, please email us at workforce at sportoz.gov.au. My name is Cam Trudell and I look forward to you joining me for the next podcast in the Coaching and Officiating series.